0: The Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry, brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Hello, Senator Dolan.
1: Hi, Tim. How are you?
0: Good. How are you? Thank you for joining us today. Uh, This is a Friday, September 4th of a recording, and um, you're in the middle of a, a campaign, I think, right?
1: We, we are. I'd, uh, I think we're past the middle. I think we <laughs> can see the finish line. The voting starts uh, pretty much in a month now. So it's, uh, it's been a weird year for sure, and it's certainly been a weird campaigning year. But oh, I, uh, I look forward to making my arguments to the voters, and hopefully, I can return next January.
0: Right. You, uh, I actually live in your district in Rocky River, in twenty fourth district. Um, right. You know, I. One thing I don't expect to see, but it's kind of got to be weird for you and anybody else running for office is nobody knocking on doors.
1: So um, I have, in fact, been out. um, I was out in February and right up until the March shut everything down and then started again June 1st. But what I've done is I have my literature and then we have a sticker on it that says, I of respect for your health. I did not knock on your door, but if you have any questions or you want to talk to me about, um, you know, then they can. So I've been at doors, right? But what I clearly have found is that a lot of people are outside They they're working on their lawn or they're just enjoying the front porch. So I, I have a mask and we stay socially distant. So I've had an opportunity to, um, you know, talk to a lot of voters and uh, i you, you will if you follow me on social media you, media you'll see shortly next week that we have hit our fifteen thousand door. score so we oh. we've been very active okay um i think that's the best way to to win an election is to make sure that they a you know i really want the job i'm willing to work for it and b i'm, I'm interested in what you uh have to say what my constituents uh, need and want
0: yeah it makes sense and in the backyard um People outside, I don't know I'm in my backyard every day. So anybody walking by could definitely catch me that way. Yeah. Um, so you live in the Cleveland area. Uh, whereabouts?
1: I live in Chagrin Falls.
0: Okay. And your district goes kind of, it kind of forms a, a U shape around the city of Cleveland as I see that's it on exact,
1: the map. That's exactly right. So if you can picture Cuyahoga County, I have Strongsville and then. We wrap around pretty much all the outer ring suburbs, you know, uh, all the way up to Bay Village, Rocky River. Uh, So it's 28 communities, cities, and uh, two townships.
0: And how many um, people?
1: So uh, roughly around 361,000. Each senate district's supposed to have 300, about 350 to 355 i in fact have the second largest senate district population wise wow. uh in the in the senate
0: mm. yeah it makes sense uh, that area is very very populated um so uh, you've been in the house you served three term in the House of representatives and this is your uh, the end of your first term in the Senate?
1: yeah so it would have been uh I'm finishing my ninth year uh in uh elected office
0: Right. And why did you get separated, into
1: it? Separated by six years.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> so right, right.
1: It's not nine consecutive years. It's, I served five years in the house, and now I'm finishing up my fourth year uh, in the Senate. Got it. Yeah. Uh, so from 2010 to 2016, I was not in office. Um, but before that and after that, I had been.
0: Right. I guess so my experience with you has been uh, since 2016. Um Correct. And then I, I, you know, your prior service was before my time here at CEA. Um, so what made you get into public service?
1: So, um, you know, we're, we asked that question a lot. I, I, I always go back to the same answer. There was a, uh, history teacher in high school who told us one day, you know, when, when we're talking about future and stuff, he said, pay attention to what you like to read. Uh, and that is usually the path of, of where you'll end up. And, mm-hmm. you know, at that moment in time in my life, I, I like to read about history. I like to i found myself reading about government. And I like reading about sports. Um, um, so I, I, I think the passion to serve the public started with that. I, I like the idea of helping people. I like the, the, you know, the competitive nature of, of not just the politics to win the office, but the policy to win the day that, you know, if, if I have an idea that I want to see all the way through, that takes a competitive nature to, to get it done. So that's attracted to me. Right. And the, but the subject matter, uh, you, I, I like working with people. I like helping, I like being problem solver. And you know, the writing laws and creating laws and understanding how words matter. I'm also a lawyer, mm. uh, you know, that's quote fun to me. So, uh, it, it, it all seemed to fit. I I do enjoy the public policy side more than I like the politics side, but you know, one doesn't come without the other. So you do the best you can.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd have to question somebody that likes the politics side better. (laughs) Uh, Maybe not the guy you want to hang out with. Um, (laughs) so you, you're a lawyer, you practice law, um, and you also are, have a real estate company.
1: So it's not necessarily a real estate company that, that, that you might think of by that title. It is a company that within it, there are buildings and properties uh, that we own. So mm-hmm. we, we don't buy and sell real estate, but we, we own our own and mm-hmm. put it into one company. So they're all operated out of that company that um, I manage.
0: Sure. Yeah. And, uh, so that's, you know, got to give you a good basis in business to, to understand the policies of how your, uh, legislation that you're working on will affect small and large businesses. Correct.
1: Which is, which is maybe a lost art, if you will. Um, there there are many, we could have an entire, uh, conversation about term limits, but one of the things I've noticed with term limits is you tend to get, Uh, younger folks to run, which is, you know, in and of uh, of itself, okay. And maybe people who are a little bit older and retired from their primary area and, you know, are are giving back to service. So you don't have a lot of folks who are necessarily in the quote private sector or in the real world to do exactly what you just said. Understand that there is you know, this isn't a political argument about who's winning, who's losing, or because the, my party platform says this. There is real life impact in what we're doing, uh, and the, the, and the more you're involved in the quote real world, the more it's easier to see the impact what we are doing, be it a positive impact or a negative impact, um, uh, is in the real uh, out there. And I, I'm sure I'm going to get a question which. I will circle back to the very conversation I just had with you so, mm-hmm. about, about an example.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, so you mentioned party politics and obviously it's very divisive right now in our, uh, in our country, but how important is party to what you do? Uh,
1: the actual party itself, it's, it's, it's not, It's minimal um, because you know I I look at it this way I look at what do I you know what is my core belief what are my core principles Mm. and what is it is is it my goal to achieve and then if if some of those goals happen to be the same as Republican Party great but I create my path. First, and then the parties can decide whether they want to fit in with me. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, the way I look at it is, if I, if it, ultimately, if a bipartisan deal is reached, then what that tells me is that it impacts more people throughout the state because various representatives and senators from the state, from around the state, have agreed on something. Which means I know it has a greater impact. Uh, My district is is not a highly partisan district, and it is it is you know slightly now slightly more Democratic voters than registered voters, but predominantly the voters are independent, Mm -hmm. and historically they have voted best person. Right. So if I go down to Columbus and become a, a strident partisan and I only do what the Republican Party wants me to do, I am not representing my district uh in the way that they want or need. So um uh, so long winded answer to say that, you know, I'm not I'm not the party does not step my agenda.
0: Yeah, yeah, nor should it. And um I'm I fit your demographic exactly. I'm not a registered Republican or Democrat. I'm an independent and uh don't get to vote in the primaries. But uh Definitely, it's up for grabs each time. Who is the best candidate? Um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed this year is a lot more and early political activity this election season, and um, and one thing that I've seen is um, a, a lot more signs out in the yards, and um, and then also sign theft from yards, and uh, I just wonder. You know, maybe you don't have a comment on that, but I wonder. You know, what are the differences you're seeing besides the COVID impact? Are there, uh, is there a difference in the air this season than there has been in your prior elections?
1: Um, I, uh, well, certainly, yes. I, I, I think there's a, uh, let's put it this way. I, I don't know if it is different from prior elections, but it is certainly more elevated and more tense so the same issues might have existed, but now they're, uh, they're magnified. So, uh, you know, I, I think yard sign stealing has been a, a long tradition, if you will. Maybe that's not the best word, but, mm-hmm. um, and, but it usually, Tim, it, it, at the end of the day, it's one political operative taking another guy's person sign and then they retaliate. Mm. What, what appears to be happening in that world of sign dealing, it's happening at the presidential level, right? and it's, and it's emotional. It is it – is a particular neighbor can't stand that they have to see that sign, whichever <laughs> party it is. And that, so that's different. That's different. It, it's not, quote, gamesmanship. It's emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the idea – and both, both parties are at fault for this, and it drives me insane – you know instead of working together to determine how we can have fair free transparent uh, fair transparent uh easy elections we we spend too much time poking fingers at each other blaming the other side anticipating negativity anticipating a fraudulent election mm-hmm. i mean the the fact that the president is saying uh, that mail-in ballots are going to be fraudulently counted, and the Democrats are saying that if we don't do this, it's a hoax. So you know, that that is nothing more than gamesmanship to say, "Hey, just in case we lose, we don't want to have to accept the winner as a valid winner. We can continue this opposition. We can continue this idea that you're not really the winner, so we don't have to get along." Right, uh, and you know, I, I'm sorry, Tim. I don't. I don't remember how old you are, but I'm I'm 55, mm. and I actually can remember a day in which uh, the election actually ended. All and right. the next day, you, you began to say, "Okay, here's the winners. Let's see what we can get accomplished, and we'll wait until the next election to try to change it." N- now this is a continuous election cycle. Right. Uh, that, that we, we can't just stop and say, the people have spoken, let's get something done, irrespective of what the, what it might or might not mean for you the next election. But right. so, uh, that's, that's what I see. is The big difference is that we don't, there's never an end game.
0: Yeah, that's frustrating for sure. And then, and, and you're right. It is more on the national level, much more on the national level. Yeah. Um, but it's not stopping you and the Ohio general assembly from getting things done.
1: No, the other issue in the, in Ohio is is sometimes it's not necessarily Republican versus Democrat. Mm. It's suburban urban legislators versus rural legislators. Okay, uh, because the challenges and opportunities that we face in suburban Cuyahoga County and Cleveland and is different than what they face in Southeast Ohio or South uh, West or Central Western Ohio. You know the, the you know that's why Ohio is so great. It's so diverse, but the diversity brings in challenges. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you pay attention to some of the votes, it's it's, it's it, it, it might appear that wow, some Republicans voted with the minority party, Democrats. But and that that would be a factual statement. But when you look at the issue, it's and you look at the votes, it's more like wow, okay, I get it. All the urban suburban voters, legislators vote one way, and the rural. One another. Right. In the makeup of the Ohio General Assembly right now, there are more rural legislators than there are urban, suburban uh, legislators.
0: Right. Now that is that true in the Senate as well? Uh, uh,
1: in the Senate, it's very much true. I mean, I hmm. am the only uh, Republican senator in Cuyahoga County. Well, um, yeah. There you go. Uh, so. Uh, And there's only one Republican center from Franklin County and only one from Hamilton County and the rest are from rural, the rural areas.
0: So that's where it's more pronounced is in the Senate.
1: Yeah. So that's where my job is representing suburban Cuyahoga County is to really, really educate folks uh, on the issue. And and it kind of ties together. And uh, I I think you're doing this purposely And this interview is very strategic is, is, look, some of the issues that that your organization faces um, are urban, suburban issues, Mm -hmm. um, because we get it. We understand what prevailing wage means. It's not a political agenda saying Republicans are against it and Democrats are for it. No, no, this is job creation. This is about workforce training. This is about pensions. This is about health care. Uh, this is about quality work. This, I mean, this is about job attraction and, and retention and, and it's to, to others. It's simply, uh, uh, well, no, I'm supposed to be against that because that's a Republican thing to be against it. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, you're really, you know, I don't mean this in the physical manly sense. I mean, this in a political sense. You gotta be a fighter. If you're not a fighter from Cuyahoga County going down to Columbus, uh, you're going to get walked all over. You, you really have to, you have to fight, you have to educate, um, and, and spend the time to say, no, this is not a political issue. This is an economic issue. This is a quality of life issue. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, absolutely. so yeah, that, that's, the, those are the big differences.
0: Right. Yeah. I can see that. Um, you know, speaking of something that's been in the news recently, what is your position or opinion on house bill six and repealing it and replacing it?
1: Okay. So uh, I'll just answer the question directly and then put a little color to it. So Mm -hmm. I am for repealing uh, HB six. I voted for HB six for the, you know, quickly for the following reasons. I think uh, number one, the, the nuclear plants, are an essential part to the economies of Northeastern and, and Northwestern Ohio. They, 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 uh, you know, roughly 2000 jobs and all the ancillary jobs that come with it, all the benefits of the taxes they provide to the local community from education, from local communities, that they are a, a really important part of, 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 of our economy up here. Number two, I voted for it because um, I believe alternative energy is not only good for our environment; it is, and and maybe more. My driving point is that it is good for our economy, and Ohio needs to be leading this charge, not following, um, because there's a lot of job opportunities, a lot of innovation, a lot of investment that could be attracted to Ohio if we jump into that space. Right. Nuclear power provides fifteen, roughly fifteen percent of our entire g- electric generation, but 90% of our carbon-free electric- electricity generation. And I felt like, boy, if those plants do close down, the vacuum to fill that ninety, uh, that 15%, wind and solar and thermal, they're not ready yet. So it would be filled by gas and coal, which, again, aren't bad. There's Well, right. there's a history there. Mm-hmm. But... I think I think we go backwards, right? Um, and, and then th- the, the the third reason was, um, you know, no one likes to see how sausage was made. But when the bill came out of the house, uh, they completely stripped the RPS, which was the uh, alternative energy uh, generation requirement, which meant that since two thousand eight, twelve and a half percent of electricity generation in Ohio has to come from an alternative energy source, right? the house got rid of that completely to zero, no more, no more, uh, requirement. Mm. Um, I fought back and I got it back up to eight and a half percent. Um, so I, again, for all the reasons I just talked about before, I think that was really important. So those are the reasons I voted for it. I think we have to repeal it because the, 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 the value of what I just described is just lost in the corruption process that it was created. Even though in the Senate I could stand up all day and and walk through our process, and we were immune from all that, I I don't think it's healthy uh, for for us to just accept that. I think we have to start the process all over again. So I, I, I think the nuclear plants are worthy of saving, uh, there's some other things about that. I left out. We we required an audit in the Senate, so there's there's checks and balances. But um, we should ha- we should revisit the whole thing because of the unfortunate incident in the House.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and speaking of that incident, you are uh, are you aware of the legislation that would seek to curtail some of that activity that um, the speaker of the former speaker of the House was indicted for? Well, I'm not sure if there's anything currently proposed. Um, Secretary of State LaRose mentioned something that he and uh, Lieutenant Governor Houston had had supported in their um, legislative days. Yeah,
1: Yeah, so you know this this is where politics can be an ugly and hard to understand business because Mm -hmm. what they're what they're saying is let's get rid of the mechanism that created the opportunity. For a householder to allegedly commit some violations. What I mean by that is right now, is as untenable as this might sound to people, the law is okay if first energy in fact did distribute uh, donate 60 million dollars to a C4 of 501 uh, C4, mm. folks, that's legal right now. So whether that should be or should not be is another question. That is legal. Right. What is illegal, is no candidate or office holder or head of caucus can coordinate with that group how they spend their money. That's supposed to be an independent, unrelated to any candidate, unrelated to anything to do with individual politics. Mm. That's where the rub is. Is they, they commit the, the allegations are the money was contributed legally, but the execution of how the dollars were spent is illegal. Got it. And, um, so I think what you, so I think LaRose Rose and Houston are saying, why don't we just get rid of the C4s, um, altogether And, and so that the opportunity to, to execute illegally doesn't exist anymore. And, and there's, there's a lot of merit in that. However, C4s, uh, have an existence above and beyond politics. So right. it's not quite as easy just to say, let's get rid of them. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. I understand that. What are some of the other important things you've been working on recently?
1: So, well, recently I think we we've been working on things to make us continue to be competitive economically through the COVID uh, virus pandemic, and to make sure that people are safe uh, through it. Uh, I tend to think of it as a three-legged, you know, stool that you need to have. You need to keep our citizens healthy. You need to keep our employers working. Uh, and um, we need to make sure our healthcare system is able to provide the necessary treatments when necessary. And I think at various times over the last six months, that 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 chair has been imbalanced. I think we sometimes early on we we put a lot of attention to our healthcare facilities, which was the right thing to do. But clearly, mm-hmm. that was at the expense of our economy right. and at the expense of people's well-being. Now we were starting to get back into the balance. We're opening up things. You know, my only, I'm not critical of the governor. I I, I think he's led Ohio greatly. I think now though, perhaps the balance of making sure that every individual doesn't get sick, it's a noble goal, but that goal takes the other part, the economy out of our balance. Mm. And so I'm working on trying to shift the governor back to, We gotta get people working. We've gotta get kids in school. We've got to be able to say to folks, this virus is here. We're gonna win. We're gonna, we're going to live our lives through it. There may be some sacrifices. Wear a mask. Stay within six feet of each other. Mm. And unfortunately for several of our businesses, don't, don't gather in mass. But other than that, let's keep our economy going. So. So that that's the macro, uh, you know, specifically is making sure, you know, recently we did the budget. We had to make sure the t- taxes were fairly applied. Um, as you, uh, you may or may not know, there was a, a, another, um, uh we, you know, we, we pre- prevented, uh, well, we allowed prevailing wage to remain in place because there was a, subtle attack outside of the legislature trying to redo the law outside of the legislative process. So, right, right. you know, we, 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 we took care of that. Um, I'm also working on, I, I mentioned alternative energy, why I think that's an economic, but we're also got to make sure that we are, we are keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak on, on technology. And um, we have a you know, tremendous amount of skilled manufacturing in, in Ohio um, so, we've got to stay on top of that, making sure that Ohio not only accepts the new technologies, but we're willing to make the new technologies. So, whether that is in manufacturing, whether that is in computer science, we've got to, we've got to do that. So, I led the charge. Ohio, I, we were the second state in the country to pass blockchain legislation, hmm. which again is going to help, uh, in the new technology industries as they come up, it's a way in which it will make it more efficient, more effective, and more easier to use both for employers and for, uh, you know, average citizens. So, you know, these are things that maybe don't play out immediately, but long-term. And then finally, of course, is, you know, we got our, we got to make sure everyone feels safe. And this is a volatile time beyond the virus this is a, you know, this is, we, we are, we are all on edge and we've got to make sure that, 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 that uh, people understand that law enforcement is there to protect law enforcement is there to keep peace, to make us feel safe that we can go about our lives. And then law enforcement has to understand that they have some training perhaps to do as the world is changing, uh, as right. it's getting more complicated. Um, So that's taking up a a great deal of our time now, too.
0: What is the Strong Ohio Initiative?
1: The Strong Ohio Initiative uh, was started by the governor, and I picked up on it in the legislature and introduced the bill. And it's very important that you understand, the global you understands what Strong Ohio is. Strong Ohio's attempt and single goal is to curb and then hopefully end gun violence in ohio and it's important to understand that we're not going after guns we are going after individuals who may show propensity based on their mental health based on their emotional health uh based on their abuse of substance that they are a threat to themselves or they are a violent threat to others and when a medical uh you know when the medical community says that's the case, and the legal community says that's the case. Mm -hmm. Strong Ohio would allow the removal of separation of that person from guns until they get the necessary help. The second thing it does, it says, for all gun sales, and I made this change from the governor, I define sale the same way we define it under the narcotics, is that it's not only a sale, meaning a transfer of value, it is a gift, a loan, you, you, know, you borrow, any sort of, of exchange is a sale under, under this. And what it would say is the, the burden on the seller to make sure they didn't sell their gun to a person who is under legal disability not to have that gun, which, by the way, is already the law. We're not changing that. There are seven okay. disabilities in the law. We, we say the burden of proof is going to be easier to prove that the seller uh, should have known that they were selling to that person. If they want to be immune from that, they can re- ask the buyer to go get a seller certificate, which would just go to the sheriff and say, do a background check on me, give me a certificate. I can bring it to the seller and say, Yep, I'm clean. You can sell me uh, this gun. And then the third thing it does is recognize that violence is not only done by some suicide or mass homicide. Unfortunately, it's done every night uh, in our streets across the country and in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that crime, gun crime is committed by individuals who don't legally possess a gun. There's They have one of those seven disabilities. Right. And this bill would, would enhance the penalty that a judge could give them uh if they commit a crime or or have a gun under disability um uh, using if they, if they commit a crime using a gun or they have a possess a gun under disability they can enhance their penalty which uh, again it separates that person from their gun because now they're incarcerated yeah. so uh it's it's that's what this bill does and as you might imagine, a bill like this, I'm getting attacked from both sides. Some <laughs> feel like you're taking away my gun. And I, in a straight face, can say I'm not. And others will say it's nothing. You know, we we, we need to have universal background check. We need to outlaw guns, you know, certain types of guns. And, and this is just trying to deal with gun violence.
0: Sure. I wanted to cover two more things before we wrap up. And that is couple of recent bills you've been sponsor of. One is uh, Senate Bill 357, which um, provides Federal CARES Act funding for local communities that are um, under 500,000 people. What does that do for those communities?
1: So what that would do is it would allow them to spend that money on any of their COVID-related expenses as defined by the U.S. Treasury. So any purchase, um, a- any sort of Preventative measures that they have to take um, that cost some money. So whether it's you know it's from it's hand, hand sanitizers at the uh, city hall or uh, hazmat suits for their for their police or fire. I mean, everything related mm-hmm. to COVID-related expenses. Does that money Plus, come
0: through the state of Ohio? Does that come st- yeah. straight from the federal it, government?
1: No, it goes through. That's why I had to introduce a bill. Uh, i We had to grab the money from the federal government, and we had to come up with a way to distribute it to the to the cities what we are doing now is we're trying to get the federal government to expand a little bit on the uses so that if they can if a city a village a township, or a county can demonstrate that their revenue loss is a direct result of COVID. And certainly businesses are closing mm-hmm. or, are, or have not reopened yet. There's going to be a revenue loss because Ohio uh, is unique. That A lot of our local governments are funded by income tax. And that's not true across the country. So right. we're trying to re- say because of that unique situation, this COVID-related should, should help um, governments fill their revenue loss. And to me, that's important because I don't want them going back to the taxpayers and raising taxes uh because you know, if you, you, we, right. we, taxes are disincentive to growth, so
0: right things still need to get done, so I appreciate that and um, and that's that passed the Senate um I think it was right. like two days ago uh, yep. and uh, you, are you hopeful for the House to pass it as well
1: well uh, I think they will, but there there's lots of issues there which. You know, I'm not privy to since I'm not there, but we don't know if they're coming back, so mm. we may have to get creative uh, and how we we may have to send it to them in a different form so they can vote for it. So it's right. um, it's unfortunately uh, it's a little dysfunctional over there.
0: And the second bill that I wanted to ask you about before we wrap it up is the Senate Bill 356, where you're uh, modernizing the way we do land banks acquisitions what does that do for a local community?
1: So the biggest thing it does for local communities is it gives them the ability to get rid of blighted properties, which decrease the value of, you know, properties around that blight. Uh, it, it either, it returns it back into the economy so someone can build on it. Um, but you know, if you have, if you had 10 homes on, on a street and four of them have been abandoned and they're dilapidated, you know, then they not only are security risk, but it just depresses the whole value of that neighborhood or that street. Mm. This gives the land banks create a funding mechanism and an operational mechanism to go to those properties, buy the, those properties, destroy the abandoned homes, and put it back into circulation uh, for value. The bill I just introduced is a minorization. We did it ten years ago. There's some things now we need to update on, and that's so that's what that bill does. It um, it, it it's it's now in 57 counties. When I did it ten years ago, it was just in Cuyahoga County. Now it's in 57 counties. So okay. it's a way to to um, you know keep neighborhoods viable.
0: Right. Yeah, that's important, and I know Cuyahoga County has been a, a leader in that regard. Um, anything else you want to leave our audience with before we wrap up?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. Thank you. So, yeah, maybe I'll I'll close my own loop that I created. Um, yeah. So I, I'll give you a real life example where uh, being part of the private sector and understanding how things really work played out in uh, in the, in Columbus, and that is, you know, project labor agreement. There's probably, what, 5%, if that, of the public who even understands what a par- oh, project yeah, labor ag- agreement is.
0: Being generous, probably right? One.
1: Right, yes. Yeah, exactly. I think so, too. Uh, including the legislators. <laughs> right. um, and I I did not know what a project labor agreement was until, you know, our families involved with the Cleveland Indians and we undertook a massive uh, rehabilitation or revamping of progressive field. And When we realized, wow, we have to do this between the end of the the last game of the season and before the first game of the season in April. So October to April, we've got to get all this done. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was introduced to Project Labor Agreements, where, okay, let's negotiate everything up front. Um, and, And, you know... The work on that was unbelievable under terrible conditions. If you recall that winter, it was freezing cold. Right. Uh, but it 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 just as from a business standpoint, from a labor standpoint, it made perfect sense. What world are we entering? What What do you guys want? Okay, you want it then. This is what we need to get it done by then. Oh, all right, that makes sense. Done. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously grossly simplifying it, but sure. when I was able to tell members of my caucus guys this isn't a political argument this is a business transaction this gives security to folks who want to build this gives security to employees who have an obligation to fulfill i mean so uh, it just it just helps that you know having been part of it understood their value it just kind of helps to bring that and that's what I meant by before. If you have too many young people in, in the legislature, there's just no real world experience to to say, Oh, I get why that makes sense. So.
0: Right. No, that's huge. And, and, you know, you have the entire gamut of issues on your plate as a legislature and nobody can ex- be expected to know the ins and outs of each issue. So your experience with that is invaluable. And I'm, you know, so happy you were there to be able to explain that to your peers there. Senator Dolan, we, I appreciate your time today. Thank you, and I hope you have a great Labor Day weekend.
1: All right. Thank you, Tim. You too. Thank you.
0: Take care. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.